that was my fault. I can't blame that on anyone else but me. Um, I told our media team this morning, I feel like I should be up here with like a cowboy hat on and like, it sounds just like, like a gritty Western kind of music, but um, <clears throat> you're not the boss of me. If you're a parent, my guess is you probably have heard that phrase a lot over the course of being a parent, haven't you? It's really interesting. We, we don't like anybody telling us what to do, do we? And this isn't just a kid thing. If you do have children, you know, we kind of have to discipline this out of them. But this isn't just a kid thing. This is, this is an adult thing, too. Really, every adult kind of struggles with this. We all have this, this sense or this need for autonomy, don't we? We, we all we kind of want to be autonomous. And really, that's, that's part of the American dream. That really, we, we want to be able to do what we want to do. We don't want anyone to tell us otherwise. And we just kind of want to be okay with that. That's kind of the American dream. But really, if we were to kind of tease it out a little bit, the American dream is really this. I want to have enough money to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and I don't want anyone to tell me otherwise. And if I get caught, I want to have enough money to make sure I can pay to get me out of the trouble. Really, that's what we want. We want to be autonomous. We want to kind of do our own thing. We want to be our own people. We don't want anyone else to kind of... Um, impart into our life or speak over our life or have authority over our lives. We want to have control. After all, you're not the boss of me. I'm my own boss. And what's interesting is, is when, when we kind of play this out in our lives, it becomes an alluring goal for us, doesn't it? It's a, a really alluring goal, especially uh, for, for those of us who, who maybe struggle with any kind of authority, because uh, <clears throat> it kind of looks a little, little like this. If we were to fight hard enough and become our own boss, if we were to, to be our own boss, we, we kind of feel this way. If, if I were to become my own boss, once I can call my own shots, I'll call all the right shots. This is what we tend to think. If I were to call all the shots, I would call all the right ones if I were my own boss. And what's interesting is that when we see people who are autonomous, who have kind of worked themselves up to be able to be their own boss and nobody else has control over them, they tend to make decisions throughout their life that kind of undo their autonomy. And we kind of sit back and think, like, what are you thinking? Why in the world would you do that? Why, why would you, you know, you finally reached it. You finally worked hard enough to gain your own autonomy. And then you make all these decisions, and it's just kind of baffling to us. We think we would never do anything like that. We, we, would, we would never do that. We would never kind of walk that path. We would never, we would never be like that person. If I had my own autonomy, if I, if I could call all my own shots, I would call all the right shots. And then there's something that kind of creeps up, up in us when we hear these stories of people who have made these kind of decisions. And, and we don't want to admit it. Nobody ever wants to admit it. And we're going to talk about this in a few weeks. But there's this part of us that kind of creeps up when we hear they made a decision and the decision went bad. And we're like, yes. You ever felt that way? It's that little ickiness that kind of creeps up. Like you feel bad, like, oh, that's a terrible story. And, and once that terribleness kind of waves off, it's like, yes, good, finally. What is that? What is that thing in us that, 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 that is, is almost happy at somebody else's undoing? It, it's like there's something in there that, that I, I don't really like and I didn't know it was there. And when it, it kind of rears its ugly head, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. You see, that's what we're going to dive into in the next few weeks. To get us started, I have a little poem for you. It's not a poem I wrote. I stole it from another preacher, so I'll take no credit for it. But it's going to kind of um, outline where we're going to go with our talk. So it's going to start off this way. Our need for supervision may someday come to an end if we silence the toxic voices that come from within. Our need for supervision may someday come to an end if we silence the toxic voices that come from within. Within A negative way of saying it, it looks a little bit like this. Our need for, of supervision may never come to an end until we silence the toxic voices that come from within. 
You see, we all want to be our own boss. We don't want anyone to be the boss of us. But there's this thing raging on the inside, and that thing that, that comes from the inside that, that we're not too happy about, that we're not too happy with, if we're not careful, it's that thing that will continue to have control over our lives and cause us to do things, cause us to say things, cause us to be people we don't necessarily want to be. You see, the truth is, none of us, none of us want to be people we don't want to be. None of us want to be in, in these positions that we find ourselves in, but we make decisions to get there. And the, and the problem is that it's not that we're not following anyone's advice. The problem is that we're following our own advice, aren't we? But our own advice is kind of tainted. It's tainted by our, our emotions. It's tainted by our, our distorted view of reality. And this is what ends up happening. With, with this, this thing that, that's inside us that, that, that continues to rear its ugly head that we're not happy about, it, it begins to kind of be a filter for our decisions. And it causes us to distort our own view of reality, which leads us down a path to continue to make decisions that we're not proud of, that we're not happy about, that bring us to a position that we've never, ever wanted to be in. So how do we not do that? And that's the sub-point of our message. This is the how-to series. How to say no to the emotions that compete for your control. How to say no to that thing inside you that competes for control over you, that causes you to do things that you don't necessarily ever want to be caught doing. See, these things on the inside of you, these emotions, they compete for control over you. And if, if we don't keep these emotions in check, they will dominate you. And they will cause you to do things. They will cause you to compromise who you are. They will cause you to unfold your relationships. And I, I say we because the, the truth is I'm in the same position you are. You may be thinking, well, Jim, does that involve you? And I'm like, no, of course not. I'm above that. No, we all struggle. We all have the emotions. Let, let me ask you this. What's the primary emotion? And you don't have to answer this now, but definitely don't answer it out loud and make sure you don't ask somebody later because you might feel guilty about what their answer is. But what's the primary emotion in you that continues to fight for control over you, that causes you to, to, to make bad decisions, that causes you to kind of step back and do things you never thought you'd do, right? It's people on the outside, they look into what you're doing and the decisions you're making and they'll say, why in the world did you? And then you take a step back and you look at yourself and you say, why in the world did I? Like, like where did that come from? How, why did I? Who, how did that come out of me? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Because there's an emotion fighting for control on the inside. And if we're not careful, that emotion will dominate who we are and will cause us to make decisions we don't necessarily want to make and will lead us to become people we definitely don't want to become. And we've seen it play out. We've seen marriages unfold. We've seen relationships with our kids unfold. We've seen uh, careers fall apart. We've seen people make great decisions and then one day, it's like their life completely fell apart because the emotion on the inside wasn't in control or was in control, rather, and led them down a path they didn't want to be in. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say about this, because the interesting thing is Jesus has to say a lot. But here's the thing. Whether you're a Jesus follower or you're not a Jesus follower, this is for all of us. All of us feel this way. This isn't only for, for Christians who, who attend church. This is for everybody. All of us have emotions that fight for control, and if we're not careful, they will control us, and they will lead us to become people we don't want to become. But Jesus has, some amazing, has said some amazing things about this. And the truth is, we just kind of go with whatever Jesus says, because, you know, if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection and then actually pull this kind of thing off, you've heard me say this before, we just tend to go with that guy. So if what Jesus says is true, then we all have some work to do. If what Jesus is going to say, if what we're going to uncover today, this paradigm, this principle that, that really I believe is life-changing, when I kind of discovered it for myself, it changed the way I, I, I thought about my marriage and I managed my relationships and I parented my children. It changed the way I, I led and, and, and kind of followed after Jesus. And, and my hope is that it'll do the very same thing for you because if what Jesus says is true, 
all of us have a lot of work to do. Our adventure begins uh, with Jesus. There's a bunch of guys who follow Jesus. If you're familiar with church, these guys are called the apostles. They're, they're the chosen men that kind of hang around Jesus all the time. And then there's the disciples. That's the wider group of people. And then there's the, the crowd, right? Everywhere Jesus went, the crowd went with him. Matthew was one of Jesus' apostles. He was one of the chosen. And Matthew has a lot of baggage when he comes and he finally starts his story with Jesus. He was a tax gatherer. And everybody in ancient Jerusalem and first century uh, Judaism, they hated tax gatherers. They were, they were worse than the Romans because they were people who had betrayed their own people, who, who would take advantage of their own people. This was Matthew. Matthew walked with Jesus and he, he accounts, uh, gives a life account of the, of the life of Jesus. And then another guy named Mark who traveled around and followed Peter, he gives us an account of this same story. We're going to begin with Matthew, then we're going to jump over to Mark. Matthew followed Jesus around. He starts off the story by saying this, Then one day some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked. And, and the reason he includes this little bit of detail is he wants you to know that these guys are up to something. These Pharisees, they're not coming with an honest question. They're not coming because they really want an answer. They're coming to try and like trip, trip up and trap Jesus. This is what they did. And Mark, Matthew wants you to know, these guys have an agenda. They're out to get Jesus. They're out to, to kind of pull him away from the crowd of people because the crowd loved Jesus and that would be too bad for them. So they wanted to pull him away and isolate him and try to trip him up. So they pulled Jesus away from the crowd with just the disciples, or rather the apostles around him, and they asked, this, they asked this question. Why do your disciples, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, we hear that in, you know, 21st century, and we're like, that's disgusting. Like, could you imagine someone not washing their hands before they eat, especially in the middle of a pandemic? Like, they would be crucified for this. <clears throat> but, but in first century, like, this wasn't even a big deal. Water was so scarce and so valuable, you didn't pour water on everything. And we have to kind of take a step back from this and look what they're really kind of addressing. There was, there was this oral Torah that was given. It was also called the tradition of the elders, the law or the tradition of the elders. <clears throat> that when Moses, when he was up on Mount Sinai, this is ancient Judaism, there's going to be a little history lesson for you in the middle of this. When Moses was on, on Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments from God and the other 103 and he brought them down, the, the written Torah, and he gave them to the people of, of Israel, the, 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 uh, <clears throat> the Jews, when he gave them this law, there was this, or, this tradition that there was also these unwritten laws that went with it. And, and they were too important to write down. And they were only passed, only a select group of people, really, only a select group of men knew these laws. This was called the Oral Torah. And this select group of men would kind of pull these laws out, to, really to manipulate people. Whenever it seemed to, to benefit them, they would pull out this, this unwritten law, this unwritten rules, this, this law of the elders, if you will. They would use it to manipulate people to make sure things always wound up going well for them. <clears throat> and I don't need to tell you this, but my guess is, you already know, I'll say it anyway, is that the same thing still happens today, doesn't it? That a lot of religious leaders pull things out of Scripture and have their own kind of backlog of things, and they continue to kind of manipulate people to do what they want to do. And Jesus isn't buying it. Jesus isn't having anything of it, like, like somehow this, this oral law, this unwritten thing that God never gave that you kind of came up with on your own to add on to the law that God already gave, like somehow that's better than the law God's given. And then Jesus gives this, this incredible illustration about this, uh, this kind of circumstance, that they're using this law, they're using the, these unwritten laws really to bypass what God's already asked them to do so that they don't have to do the right thing. They can excuse themselves and go do what they want to do. And really, he addressed it with them avoiding the responsibility of caring for aging parents. And then Jesus replies to them. He says, oh, really? You think that your oral Torah is so valuable? You think this unwritten law is better than everything? I said, I'm not having any of that. 
But why do you break the actual written command, the actual law of God, the law that God gave Moses and God gave you? Why do you break the command of God and for the sake of your tradition? Why do you think it's okay for you to break these laws for your sake, for your traditions, for your values, for the things that you hold dear? This isn't God. God isn't, God isn't, isn't written in any of this. God isn't actually this concerned about this. He's like, this is all of you. You're the problem here. He says, thus you nullify. You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You're basically throwing out all of the law. At one point, you used to honor the law and how it was written, but you added all this extra stuff on top, and you said it was some kind of unwritten law. He said, you've completely, basically nullified the word of God with your weird traditions. And then he gets direct. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You, you, you guys just, just twist and do whatever you can for your own sake, and I'm not having any of it. The prophet Isaiah, the prophet from, from the Old Testament, from the Jewish scriptures, Jesus goes back and he says, he was right when he prophesied about you. And then he quotes from Isaiah. <clears throat> he couldn't have been more direct. These people honor me with their lips, but get this. They may honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They, they may know the law. They, they may be able to recite scripture. They may be able to tell you whether things are right or wrong, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Jesus is saying, guys, you're off. You've practiced, you've memorized, you've educated yourselves. You, you, you think you know, but your heart isn't there. And then he goes even further. He says, now, now listen and understand. And I imagine when Jesus is saying this out of his frustration, it's almost patronizing. Would you listen and understand? Because clearly the inference is you don't understand. You study and you teach and, and you're supposed to be the religious figures of the day. You have no idea. So would you listen and understand? What goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them. But what goes into someone's mouth, it doesn't defile them. God isn't, God isn't small and petty and trivial, so much so that, that by accidentally consuming something, like because you didn't wash your hands, would make you ceremonially unclean, and these dietary laws, all of these laws that were given to the people of, of, of Jerusalem. He's saying, God isn't that small and petty, but that's exactly what you've made him. Because you, you're almost imagining, like, like that's, God is so small that he's so concerned that if you consume some kind of germ that makes you, that would somehow make you unclean from uh, these dietary laws that God, God has given. God isn't that concerned about that. You've made God small, but God isn't small. These kind of things don't defile them. He says, but what goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them. It's what comes out of their mouth. That is what defiles them. It's not what comes in. It's what coming out. That's the problem. And with that, he just kind of walks away. I wish I was there for that moment. It's kind of like, like one of those mic drop moments. They're wrong. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You've got it all backwards. Here's the deal. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. And Jesus just walks away. The Pharisees are left, I'm sure, bewildered, stunned, having no idea how to respond. The disciples, I imagine, they kind of look over their shoulders and they're like, na, 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 na. They have no idea. They get together like, that was amazing. Do you have any idea what he said? I have no idea. Do you know what? I have no idea what he meant. It sounded like we won, so that's an, that's an awesome thing, but we have, we have no idea what, what they said. So the disciples, Matthew says this, after they kind of get Jesus away from the Pharisees, then the disciples, they, they turn to him, and they say, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you heard this? And Jesus, I love his response to this. He says, leave them. 
At one point, it was okay to follow them because they understood the law. But they have added so many of their weird traditions that it has defiled the law. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. I mean, Jesus was just done. These guys have it wrong. These religious traditions that they've added on top of God's law, they've got it all wrong. That was never the way to kind of please and make God happy. But, but, but this is what, what, what they're, they're kind of telling people. You've got to do this to, to please God and to make God happy and to, to get on God's good side. And Jesus said that was never the way it was. The problem started with them. And then Peter, who has obviously no idea what's going on, he kind of speaks up for the rest of the, the, the apostles. And he says, okay, God, if that's, if that's not the way it is, if, if what you're saying is true, that we, we don't have to wash our hands because of accidentally consuming something, it won't set us apart from the dietary laws. I mean, in their minds, they're kind of confused. This doesn't make sense. We don't really understand what you're saying. And it almost sounds like you're kind of contradicting the law of Moses. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm doing. I, 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 Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. He said, but God's doing something different. So Peter says, okay, well then explain it to us. Jesus, if that's the way it is, would you explain it to us? Would you show us what exactly you mean? And I imagine in this moment we read these words and <clears throat> it sounds very stern. It sounds like Jesus is coming across kind of mean. But I, I imagine, and maybe he was, but I kind of imagine he's looking at Peter like, like a friend, like a buddy, and he kind of ruffles his head like you do with your kids. He's like, oh, come on. Are you still so dull? Peter, come, come on, man. You've been with me for so long. Are you, you still don't get it? Like, I, how much longer do I have to keep explaining it to you guys? I, I, I love you, and, 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 and I want you to get on board with this. He said, you, you still don't understand what I mean by all this? He said, here's what you need to understand. He said, it's not what comes out of your mouth. These things, and Jesus is going to kind of give us a sneak peek into the things that, that, that he is most concerned about, that God is most concerned about. But, but here's a spoiler alert. God is not most concerned with how our behavior affects him. God isn't small. He isn't petty. He isn't, he isn't so sensitive that, that, that by not washing our hands, we've somehow offended this, this grand God who's so petty and so small that, that, that he can't overwhelm me. He said, no, no, God isn't, God isn't concerned about how our, our behavior affects him. God's bigger than that. He said, after all, <clears throat> and you need to know this, the law that was given, the law of Moses, the, the, these traditions, he said, they were given for your sake, not for his. God's okay. God doesn't need anything from you. What was given to you was given for you to make you better, to keep you healthy, to make you strong. God isn't so concerned about that. And then he, he lets us in on kind of the back door of what he actually is concerned about. Peter, come on, man. Are you still, you're still so dull. You're still not getting it. Don't you see, and I think this is kind of Jesus' sense of humor here. Don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth goes into the stomach and out your body? And I imagine at this point the disciples are kind of laughing like, okay, Jesus, we're not that dull. Like, we get it. We see that every day. We know how that works. Like, we not, may not be physicians, but we get it. We're not that dull. And then Jesus, Jesus I imagine, kind of stiffens up and gets a little serious. He says, oh, you see, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, those things that come out of someone's mouth, those are the things that defile them. It's not what goes in. Guys, it's what comes out. It's what comes out because the things that come out of your mouth, they affect not only you, they affect the people around you. You see, God's concerned about not just about you, 
He's concerned about the person to the left of you and the right of you and behind you and the person who sat in the car next to you when you drove here this morning and the person you work with and the person whose home is next to your neighbor. God loves you, but God loves all of you. And the real problem here is when what comes out of your mouths puts you at odds with other people, that puts you at odds with God because God loves all those people. And Jesus said, here's why I'm concerned about what comes out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth started somewhere on the inside. And it puts you, it shows you that you're at odds with other people. And the truth is, if you're at odds with the people, you can't, you can't not be good with God. You're at odds with God. See, God loves you and God loves you next to you. And Jesus is letting us in on this little kind of backdoor sneak peek. Here's what God is most concerned about. It doesn't have to do with your behavior somehow pleasing him and making him right. Like, like somehow your, your salvation is dependent on your works. No, no, it's, it's done. It's already done with what Jesus did. He said the reason there's these things in place, the reason God doesn't want you to do some of these things is because that affects the person next to you. And that's what God cares about the most. You see, we, we skipped a little part of that verse. We're going to jump back to it. If you know the scripture, you're probably thinking, Jim, you, you, like, you skipped over the best part. You, you, you yada yada over the most important part of the verse. Jesus said this, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart. And that's why I'm concerned. And he's not talking about like the physical heart, whether the physical heart is here or there. He's, he's talking about like the human experience. The thing that all of us know, right? We, we can feel it. We may not, it's like an intangible. You may not know where it comes from, but you know when it's there and you know when it comes out. <clears throat> it even begins to come out of you and there's this little voice in the back of your head going, stop, 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 stop. No, no, no. Oh, why did I say that? I don't even know why I just said that. Why did that come out of me? You ever felt that way? That's what he's talking about. The things that come out of your mouth, they come from your heart. And those are the things, Jesus said, that defile a person. And, and you may think, you know, but, but, but that's not me. Sure, Jim, like I, I hear all that and that's good. And some of you may be saying, yeah, you know, you're reading my mail. That's exactly how I am. Others may be saying this. Jim, that's not true. Not everything I say comes from my heart. Sometimes I say things that I don't mean. To which Jesus would respond with, that's true. Sometimes you say things you don't mean to say out loud. but you did. And the truth is, it came out of you because it's in you somewhere. And in that moment where maybe the emotion has gotten the better of you or that, that situation has gotten the better of you, your heart was showing. And that's what Jesus is concerned about. What's coming out of you? When those situations get the best of you, what's that thing that comes out? We all have one. Some of us may have more than one. When the emotion that's within you is raging for control, gets control, what does that look like in your life? And then Jesus goes on, and he gets really specific. And these are some of the things we're going to focus on the next few weeks. He, he says one of, what I think is one of the most brilliant things. He says, for out of the heart, out of this, this unknown place, not this physical heart, but, but, but this, this human experience, this thing on the inside of you, out of that comes evil thoughts that everything began with a thought. Everything starts with a thought. And then he begins to give you this list. He says, murder, murder it starts with a thought. Adultery, somewhere it, it started in the heart or the mind. Immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And then Mark 
who traveled around with Peter, who's kind of Peter's follower and got this whole story from Peter, he gives us more of what Jesus says. Jesus says, goes on, he says, greed comes from the heart, malice, deceit, lewdness, which is just a fancy way of saying lustful desires, envy, arrogance comes from the heart. And the last one I love, folly. <clears throat> we don't use that word enough. You know what folly is? <clears throat> folly is, is like the, the, the thing in you that causes you to make a bad decision. All of your greatest relational regrets, all of your greatest regrets in life, they, they, they start from, from folly. Right? Oh, I don't know what I was doing. I was just so foolish. I don't know what I was thinking. It's almost like, like my emotions got the best of me. And we give in to folly. And you said all these things. All of your relationship killing, all of your financial blundering, all of your, your horrible decisions that you wish you could go back and change, they started with a thought and it got into your heart, and it came out of your mouth. These things are what defile a person. And don't misunderstand me. <clears throat> These are the things that puts you at odds <clears throat> with other people. And that's why God isn't okay with it. Because what we do and what comes out of our, our mouth has somewhere taken root in our heart. And it puts us at odds with the people God cares about the most. And God says, that means we can't be okay. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands? Come on, guys. That doesn't defile anyone. God's bigger than that. God's not that small. All these other things that get added on to God, they're just religious rituals and, and traditions. And the truth is, and some of you need to hear this, they're not bad. If you have a religious ritual that, that you practice, that you do, it's for you. It doesn't mean it's for everyone. For instance, I like to pray on my knees. Not everyone does. But I, there, there's something about, about, the, about a physical posture, about, about getting on my knees and praying. And I, it hurts my knees sometimes, but, but there's just something in me. And, and I feel like that's my way of connecting with God. But because it's my way of connecting with God, it doesn't mean God looks at me and goes, oh, but Jim prayed on his knees. We got to like, like, hold the show. We got to answer that prayer. He was on his knees. Right? It's, it's not how it works. It's not like, like my tradition, my ritual has somehow earned some great favor with God. No, it's, it's for you. It's my way of connecting. God said, that's good for you. I've given that to you because that's the way you and I will, will connect the most. But all these other things, I mean, read Jesus' words like, like missing mass. Oh, I, I missed mass. And, oh, but she missed mass three times. That's it. Put her on the list. She's out. Oh, they missed communion. She's gone. Oh, they, they forgot their quiet time. They didn't pray. They're out. No, see, none of those things, like, earn God's favor. God's favor was already earned by what Jesus did for you. Those things are for you to connect to your heavenly Father. And if you have a ritual, if you have a tradition, that's good. Don't give that up. But don't think that's what makes you right with God or better with God than somebody else. That's not how it works. That's not what God is concerned about. That's not the things that defile us. So here's what we're going to do. Over the next few weeks, we're going to start monitoring our behavior. I know some of you, are, you've kind of already checked out. You've, already, you've been able to monitor your behavior and, and, and check how you behave. So you've been sitting here and looking at me but not hearing anything I've said. Or maybe you're at home and I'm on one screen, but you know, you're really looking at what's on the other screen. Or you've shrunk the window down and you can say you were part of church. But you, I get how all that works. And I appreciate you being here and checking in for the few minutes you're here. <clears throat> over the next few weeks, we're going to start monitoring our behavior. And here's what we're going to do. We're not even going to start monitoring just the behavior because that's just the, the, the outward thing. 
I want us to learn to monitor and really take Jesus' invitation to begin to monitor what's happening at a deeper level, what's on the inside. What are the things that are fighting for control that we tend to give control that cause us to do things we don't want to do and be people we don't want to become? Can we monitor what's happening there? Can, can we keep ourselves from being controlled? Can we actually look at these things and say, you're not the boss of me? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say that with me. It's easy enough to remember. It's right there. I want, you, I want all of us to say that together. Even if you're at home, it might seem a little weird. I want you to say it with me. I, I want us to get in the habit of saying this. Are you ready? One, two, three. This time I want you to say it with a little more attitude. Okay? I, I want you to say it like you mean it. Because here, here's what I want. My hope is that you get it so driven inside of you when these, these emotions, maybe it's, it's anger, maybe it's, it's lust, maybe it's envy, whatever it is. When they begin to creep up, I want you to begin to address them. I want you to even personify them. That's what Paul did. He personified the things that raged within him. I want you to begin to say, you're not the boss. You're not the boss of me. Even if you mumble it under your breath. It may seem weird, but you know what? You'll be better for it in the end. So we're going to say it one more time with a little more attitude. You ready? One, two, three. You're not the boss of me. Anger, you're not the boss of me. I know you're there and you may even be a little justified, but you don't control me. Envy, you're not the boss of me. I know she has and she's got more and she's so cute and, and her Instagram feed, I like, envy, you're not the boss of me. That, that insecurity, that thing that keeps creeping up and, you know, I, I want to speak up, but, but I don't because I'm insecure and then, and then, and then you know, I have this opportunity, but I'm not going to take it because I'm insecure. Insecurity, I know you're there, but you're not the boss of me. I can't help but look at things. It just controls my thoughts all the time. Lust, you're not the boss of me. You are there, but you do not control my life. That's my hope for you. And at the end of this series, my hope is that each of you can identify that thing in you and say, you're there, but you don't control me. You are not the boss of me. How different would your relationships be? How different would your life be if your father didn't allow anger to be his boss? How different would your life be if he didn't allow pride to be his boss? How different would your life be if your mom didn't allow envy to be the boss of her life? Parents, what if we could teach our children now to begin to observe and monitor what's going on on the inside so that they don't grow up repeating the same mistakes we did? I'll get into this in a few more weeks, but we've gotten into this habit. I told you how this has kind of like shifted my parenting and shifted the way I view relationships. We got into this habit when we put our girls to bed. You can ask my oldest. She's sitting there completely checked out of the conversation, monitoring her own behavior. <clears throat> we got into this habit of asking them every night when we put them to bed, how's your heart? And the truth is, they probably don't even know what's, what, what, what I mean by that. How's your heart? What's going on on the inside? Did someone hurt your feelings? Did, did, did someone pick on you? Did you hurt somebody's feelings? What's happening in your heart? Because my hope is they grew up learning. What it, what's in here matters. Because what's in here comes out of here. And that's what defiles me. That's what puts me at odds with God. And that's not what I want for my kids. How would your life be different? If you didn't learn to just modify or rather observe your behavior and monitor your behavior, but you monitored your heart, you observed your heart. And when things began to shift out of control, you knew what to do to bring it back in and say, you're not the boss of me. You might be there, but you don't control me. And while I think this is an offscape for everyone, if you're a Jesus follower and a Christian, here's the thing you need to hear. <clears throat> not only are they not the boss of you, they're not the boss of you because we already have a boss. 
We already have a boss, and he is a much better boss than any of these inferior bosses, than anger and lust and envy and greed and murder and malice. He's so much better than all of that. As a matter of fact, Matthew records this. Jesus made this promise to those of you who would follow after him. He said this, come to me. And this meant so much to Matthew because Matthew had all this baggage about taking advantage of his people and being a tax collector and being hated by his community. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all of you who are sick of being led by your anger and being controlled by your envy. Come to me, all of you who are sick of being controlled by your lust. Come to me, all of you who are sick of being controlled by this emotion in you that rages all the time and you're weary from fighting the battle, Jesus would say, come to me, and I'll give you something none of those other bosses can give you. I will give you rest. Come to me. Follow me. Take my yoke upon you. And when he says that, he's just saying, take my way of life upon you. Take my way of life upon you and learn from me. Because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. I'm not like those other guys. I'm not like those other bosses. I'm not like that, that, that guy in church who did that thing and offended you and you never went back. I'm not like that girl. I'm not like that relationship. I'm not like that boss that continually takes advantage and demeans you and makes you feel so angry. That's not me. He says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And here's the promise. When you come to him, he says, you will find rest. You will find rest. Church, let me ask, who doesn't want that? Come to me. Come to me, and and I can lead you. I can teach you how to control that thing that's raging inside of you so that someday you won't need the supervision because you've silenced the voices inside you that rage for control. Can I pray with you this morning? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture, Lord, for, for God, Jesus teaching us over and over again, God. And God, it even seems like in my own life, is that like, did I miss it? What do you mean? What do you mean? But God, it couldn't have been more clear in this moment. It's not our traditions. It's not our rituals. It's not the other things we add on to, to being a Christian that put us in good graces with God. Jesus, you did that for us. By your death and by your resurrection, we were made right with God. But these things were given so that we could connect better with our Father. But for the things that rage inside of us, God, for the emotions, God, that that continue to grapple for control and authority in our lives, God, I pray you would give us the wisdom and the courage to begin to confront those things and tell them they're not the boss of us, that we have a much better boss, a boss that leads to peace and to rest and to the life and the decisions we've always wanted to do and make. God, I pray for those of us who are here who, who maybe even as I'm speaking, God, they, they, they can already identify the, 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 the things within them. It, it, it's there, it's creeping up as I'm talking. It's making them maybe uncomfortable where they sit. God, even if it's at home. God, I pray even now, Lord, we wouldn't have to wait till week two or three. God, we can look at that thing and say, you don't control me. I have a different boss and he's a better boss. And you won't ruin my life and you won't ruin my marriage and you won't ruin my relationship with my kids. You won't ruin my career. You won't ruin me because I have a better boss. God, I pray you'd give us the courage to do that and the wisdom, God, to always remember that we have a better boss. And for those of us that don't, God, I pray that you would now ignite a passion in them 
to begin to follow after you, to follow after Jesus, to take him at his word, his invitation to come to him. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.